We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I've got a guest today to share his thoughts on the upcoming decisions that need to be made by the Charlotte Hornets. Before we get into this, take a minute out of your day to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and take a look at buzzbeat.substack.com for our private podcast feed and the perks that come along uh, with signing up for that. The Hornets have the number two overall pick, obviously, and there's a heavy debate between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson of G League Ignite. I actually don't have a strong opinion on either of those two, mostly because I haven't really done much of homework on either. I know that my co-hosts definitely favor Scoot, but I'm going to bring on an outsider, I guess, if you want to call him that, Richard Stamen. He goes by at Mavs Draft on Twitter to get a perspective on the Hornets. And the two or maybe three players that are up for debate with the second overall pick. So, Richard, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. I'm excited to be on here. I know we've talked a lot, uh, like in DMs and things like that, across multiple platforms. So it's good to good to be on here. Yeah. So I actually want to start with Brandon Miller because, like I said, my my co-host strongly favors Scoot. Uh, I think most of the conversation with our podcast the past couple episodes have been leaning that way. So Miller is 20 years old, 6'9", 200-pound forward at Alabama who can shoot the ball, uh, both off the catch, off movement. I think he can create for a little bit uh, on his own as well. Let's begin with his offensive game. Like, What makes him such a special prospect as a shooter, as a scorer, and where do you see him making the most impact on that end in year one? Yeah, I think year one, you're going to see a lot of shooting is really where a lot of it's going to stem from. His shot is kind of almost a set shot, but it still is so quick that so many defenders in college basketball couldn't block him. He was very difficult to block and contest. I think his ultimate role is going to be, he's going to be like a scoring wing that he's versatile within roles. He's not necessarily, and and that kind of makes him positionally versatile, I suppose, but more of that he can be the primary scorer one night. He can thrive as the secondary and also be like a tertiary scorer. Like he can do anything with the ball in his hands. The passing's got good upside. He does need to finish a little bit better, but ultimately you're looking at a two-way guy that can play, you know, within any role on the offensive end. 
How much do you think his success will maybe early on or just in general will be predicated on his teammates getting him open, like, you know, screens, DHOs versus him having the ability to create for himself? Like, do you see that at all in his game? It's going to be like, I'd say off the top of my head, like 75-25 split. I'd say most of his stuff year one at least will be mostly assisted just because of the, first of all, the the already roster around him. I mean, Lamella Ball being, uh, you know, the the alpha on the team, having the ball in his hands the most. So a lot of that will be kind of spoon-fed for him in a really good way, in a positive way, which should make the offense just more efficient. I think as time goes on, though, he can definitely develop into a self-creator at a higher level. Now, one thing that I've noticed about his game that I really like, and I'm not sure if it's underrated just because I haven't done enough homework is his variety of dribble moves. I feel like he, he kind of puts that on display, but I'm not really sure with his inability to get to the paint. You'd mentioned like his inability to score at the rim at a consistent level. Do you see like him being a guy being able to break down the defense with his dribble or is there going to be some, you know, learning curve along the way because of the, the inability to kind of get into the paint and score at the rim? Yeah, a little bit of both. I think, you know, you can you can kind of look and see he doesn't get a lot of lift on drives. He was a poor finisher at the rim overall, not 39% at the rim in the half court. That's really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just as he gets stronger, I think all of those will be fixed by strength and reps. So there is a lot of upside, but early on, I mean, I think the finishing holds him back a good amount unless that takes a drastic jump with NBA spacing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
Is it like athleticism mostly, or is it just, I mean, I mean, I guess what else could you point to? A little bit of, I mean, part of it is that he doesn't get a ton of lift on these drives. He's not like popping, you know, in the half court. In transition, he definitely does. But the other thing is just, I, I don't know how good his touch is at the moment at the rim. That's something that can be taught, I believe. Something that it definitely helps to have naturally gifted at. But, you know, not everyone is that way. And I do think that that is something where he can definitely get helped with by an NBA coaching staff. Now, one thing that in my initial kind of reading and, and watching of him that I feel like doesn't get it, you know, talked about enough is his ability to pass the ball and his touch on his passing. I've seen some, you know, plenty of live dribble passes. I've seen some pocket passes out of him. And I'm sure that, you know, the six nine height definitely helps him to see over defenders and that type of stuff. Tell me what you see out of him when it comes to as like a playmaker, as a passer. And to your point, maybe he's not a guy that has the ball in his hands a lot, but when he does, he can, you know, score or maybe pass out of that as well. Yeah. So I'll start with just the obvious statistical uh, element of this. He had a negative assist to turnover ratio. It's not good. Um, could also mean, I mean, most of those were low volume on both ends. So it's not that alarming, but I would say there's a few things that really make me confident in his potential to be a good playmaker, both for himself and others. One is he's comfortable with both hands. And also kind of feeding off of that, he has a really strong hesitation move where he can get on drives. He, he steps a little bit back, freezes, and then just goes past a guy. And I think that really helps, which feeds into his passing where he can pass on the move under the rim. He can drive and kick. That's been a little bit hidden, I think, but generally he can pass pretty well. He sees defenses through defenses. It's kind of just acting on it and being quicker to act on it is really where he needs to improve. So I think he's got the vision to do so. It's just kind of saying, all right, I see it. I can act on it as soon as I see it that's really the next step for him. Now I've seen mixed reviews about his defense. Now, obviously he's got the frame. He doesn't necessarily have like the, the bulkiness. I know he needs to bulk up in that aspect to kind of reach his full potential on both ends, but where do you fall on his defensive impact? Maybe, you know, year one, but also for years to come. Cause my co-host seemed to be a little bit down on him on that end of the court. Yeah. I mean, year one, I, I highly doubt he's going to be a positive defender. It's just kind of the nature too, right? Like only a few rookies end up being positive defenders every year. I just, I don't see him being that. Um, he gambles a lot off ball, uh, which puts him a step behind pretty often. He has a good motor. It's going to make up for a lot of stuff and he has the physicals as well. So that'll help him. But I, I think he's just got to be, it's two things, really decision-making on the defensive end and then strength. That's really where upside is going to be big for him. I do think ultimately he's not going to be like a massive negative. He's not going to be, he'll probably have flashes of being a positive defender, but ultimately he probably leans a negative early on, but grows into a positive defender pretty quickly. Now, are there, have you seen negatives with him as an off ball defender? Like in terms of just like mental lapses? I can't figure out if some of it's mental, if he's like, Oh, I got it. And then he's just going for it. Or if that's kind of by design for him to be, you know, playing the passing lanes. I, that one's been tough for me. I, I honestly don't know either way. Yeah. Ju judging defense is, is definitely difficult uh, in terms of uh, evaluating the, uh, the tape and stuff like that. Now, if there's anything that we haven't talked about with Brandon Miller, like something underrated, something that like, I just haven't mentioned, you know, if you want to go ahead and pitch it now, like what's the case for Brandon Miller, the things that we just talked about for the number two spot, like I know he may not be number two on your big board, but let's just say if you were to make the case for the Charlotte Hornets, anything that you want to, you know, put out there for Hornets fans. Hey, Brandon Miller could be the second overall pick because why? Yeah, I think the sell on him is, you know, you get a, a guy with defensive upside at 6'9". You get somebody who's going to be a good shooter. 
He has potential to fill in as a playmaker. And he's also a great rebounder. He wanted, I'd say he's actually probably the best wing rebounder in the class. And that's a big reason why he is uh, you know, in consideration for number two. There are going to be some learning curves. Again, the finishing and defense, probably year one and the lack of you know ultra strength like to where he needs to be might hold him back. But ultimately, I mean, you get somebody who could be one of the best secondary or tertiary wings on your team as an option. And you look at somebody of the Chris Middleton mold, he could go into Harrison Barnes is somebody who, you know, even though uh, in parts of his career, he has had ups and downs. Uh, he is still somebody who was on a title contending team and was a key part of that. That's what you get in Brandon Miller is somebody who's going to both help your floor get better and then also help your ceiling be higher as well. What do you say to this comment right here where it says screams generic NBA role player? Uh, I'm thinking Nick Young ceiling. <laughs> well, I think I, I get it. I think it's six, nine though, with the shooting ability and ball skills and, and just again, the physicals, I do think, he's got more than just a generic role player. I think that's probably his floor is like a little bit higher than that of being like, you know, he's a quality wing depth piece, not like that, but like he's a starter level guy. Right. But his upside could be just an all-star. I mean, for the year, even if this is his NBA stats, he averaged 18.8 points a game, eight rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block, pretty much. I mean, that's an all-star borderline all-star in the NBA. You know, I'm still making my decision. I'm not even sure if I really have a strong preference over one over the other, but let's go ahead and switch over to Scoot Henderson, 19 years old, 6'2", explosive guard who played for the Ignite uh, for two years. And uh, he just kind of jumps off the screen when you watch him. And in, in terms of his position, I know his size like limits him to, you know, a point guard, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's like your prototypical point guard in terms of like orchestrating the offense. These days, positions are more fluid, but his style is one that he uses ath athleticism and his rim pressure to his advantage. He uses that to leverage his drives into kicks to find open teammates. And I'm not saying he can't orchestrate an offense, but how do you view his position and maybe kind of go deeper into like his play style when you watch him play? And you're saying on on Scoot, right? Yeah, on Scoot. Like, what 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 would you consider his position? I, th I think it has yeah. to be point guard. But like, I guess describe the style of play. I think he has to be considered a point guard. I mean, the right. size kind of limits him right. there. I will say the one thing that's hidden on him is he's not like. I, I think point guard. It's really just guard at this point. Backcourt is kind of the way the modern NBA is because of. I mean, over the last ten years, the development of the two guard system, things like that everybody can play off ball or you should be able to everyone in a way is a point guard, right? Where I think for me, he's, he's a really good point guard, but the one thing that he got hidden at with the G league ignite is he didn't get to play off ball much. I, he took, uh, I think it was only 21 or something catch and shoot jumpers. And part of that was health. Part of it was just the nature of the system. He was the best playmaker on the team. He was one of the few point guard, like true point guards on the team. So, you know, he had to do a lot of the facilitating, but his general play style to kind of get on with, I apologize, that's a very long-winded way to no, get into fine. it, is, is the pick-and-roll ability is just phenomenal. He can pass and get to the basket, shoot, step back. Whatever it is, he can manipulate the pick-and-roll at a very high level. He's super strong. It's going to help him as a finisher at the rim when those 50-50 plays against contact. He's going to be good again on defense because of that strength. How good? Who knows? I think the G League's really tough to evaluate in that regard. But ultimately, I mean, there's a reason this guy's a franchise changer. You get an elite pick-and-roll just guard in this league with dynamic athleticism. That's just such a ridiculous combination. Yeah. I bring this up because of the conversation surrounding Charlotte's best player, LaMelo ball. 
And I think if you're drafting this high in the lottery, it's usually for a reason, like you need talent. And I think at this point, you know, there's a comment here in the Twitter spaces, like the biggest question is what do the Hornets need? Now, I don't think that you should be drafting for need uh, with the Hornets position that they are in, but let's just say that this team wanted to factor in fit next to ball. And is there a world where these two players couldn't coexist? Like what would be like the limiting factors with both of them on the court at the same time? Do you, do you think they could hold each other back? Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of skill and just on court ability, there's nothing that suggests they would fit poorly. I think it would literally be like an ego thing where they're like, no, I want to be the guard. I want to be the main man. You know, like that's literally the only way it could interfere. Scoot's been just everything out of the G league camps have just been, he is insanely professional. He is years uh, ahead of what his age is. I mean, he just turned 19 and he does not act like your normal 19 year old. Like he is very mature and professional. And I think that stuff matters. So I do think it would help him mesh with LaMelo ball. Obviously it's two way street. Both of them have to agree on that, but I would think, you know, winning matters, winning heals everything. So I think they would work. Yeah. I think the fit with LaMelo on ball and scoot off ball is probably the one that has more of its downsides. And, and you kind of brought up the fact that Scoot really didn't play off ball that much. Um, you know, I can't say for certain because I didn't really watch a ton of the G league night, but how would they, or how would you use Scoot as an off ball player? Like more of a, a DHO type of guy, because, you know, his shot from behind the arc right now is, is not the best. So you want to kind of get him momentum going towards the rim. So maybe some DHOs are probably the best way to use them. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty common way. I mean, that was his fourth most run play in the in the G League. I mean, it was mostly pick and roll stuff and uh, yeah. he would attack closeouts. But I think, you know, they didn't, again, not having another really great point guard. I believe their only other point guard that was at a high level was like Pooh Jetter who's pretty older now. He's kind of on the, you know, I mean, he was in the NBA like 13 years ago, I think with the Kings. And so like, it's, it's hard to say what his real off ball role is, but I think he can definitely spot up again. He only took about 20 catch and shoot jumpers. It was 27. Excuse me. I just got the official number 27 catch and shoot numbers. And I, I think kind of to the comment below, I think the form isn't bad. Like there's nothing suggesting like, and he shot 34% all like, all numbers combined from every part of the season, 34% from three, 75% from the line. Look, it could have been better, but yeah. they're they're like at the floor of what you want for a guard's percentages. Now, I'm not sure if this is like an odd question to be asking, but do you do you value his ability to shoot the ball off the dribble and get unassisted buckets? Or is there any downside to being a player that um you know, focuses his game on that type of stuff where it could potentially lead to bad habits or bad shot selection? Or, or do you think that's like, you know, an added bonus to be a guy that can shoot off the dribble? I think it's always dependent on context. In this context, I think it's pretty good. Uh, so just to kind of push the numbers side by side, he took 27 no dribble jump shots. He took 199 off the dribble jump shots. So that ratio is insane. For him, it wasn't toxic like, not necessarily toxic. Like let's think of somebody in the past, very recently, Cameron Thomas out of LSU. There was not a shot he did not like out of uh, out of the off the dribble. And Scoots is much more calculated, I think, in the way he gets it. He's not doing it just to shoot. Like he really is good at throwing off the defense. If there's a drop defender, he can manipulate that. If there's somebody who's going to play tight on him off the switch, he can just burst past him and go to the rim. So I think. I think he's really intelligent in the way he uses it. I don't think it's like a toxic, uh, if you will, 
kind of uh, shot selection or anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with that element. Give me something other than his athleticism, other than his rim pressure, stuff that we've already talked about here, but give me something other that gets overlooked in his game. He's got an incredible runner. I, I think that's something where, you know, for me, I like using that as shooting touch because you have to have touch at the rim to get that halfway shot off. And he shot over 50, or he shot, excuse me, 49% on runners. It was a 77th percentile in the G League. And it looks good. Like he times it right out of, especially off of screens. He's really good at timing it right. He knows how to use his hands, I guess, like kind of both hands, I should say, to beat the contest, when to, when to use it and shoot it and things like that. I think that's something that adds an element of complete three-level scoring. He seems like a guy to me that like is a tireless worker. He, he just seems like a guy that will work on his deficiencies. He is he's obviously athletic and, and that kind of works in his favor. But in terms of that type of stuff, and obviously he's got the wingspan as well. How does that translate over to the defensive side of the court? Because I know we talked about Brandon Miller and some of his downfalls there. But do you see some of the same stuff with Scoot just um, having some, you know, lack of defensive presence? Yeah, I mean, I think he's ultimately got the upside to be good on defense. I'll be real. He didn't try too hard on the defensive end. Again, that's just the G League, though, right? I mean, if you can find guys who put in effort every single night, like that are NBA draft prospects throughout the years on the defensive end, I'd, I'd love to see it. There's just not many. Kamingo is kind of one. There have been a couple others, I guess. But for the most part, the G League still has the reputation of defense optional. So it's always a little bit hard. The positives are he has the strength to bump guys off, especially like with a first step that he gets beaten on or something. He can easily counter and recover because of that strength, be able to bump guys back, slow them down just a little bit, things like that. I think that does matter. So his strength is really important there. We don't know what his wingspan is officially. He's got long arms. I think the athleticism can help him. Ultimately, I'd be shocked if he's not in the window of slightly below average to slightly above average. Like I feel like he's just going to be neutral. Yeah, and I think with Lamella Ball, you know, being your you know, your, your court mate beside you. And he has some deficiencies as well. Like you, you at least got to be average. You at least got to be average uh, or you're going to have to surround the team with wings and forwards and bigs that can kind of make up for the lack of defense there. So same question I asked uh, about Miller. If you were to make the case for scoot for Hornets fans uh, for the number two spot, what's your go-to pitch? Yeah. I mean, he'd be the number one pick in probably half of the last 10 drafts. He's got incredible athleticism, burst, quickness, strength, intelligence, and maturity. All of those are beyond his years. I would say every single one of those uh, are traits that are advanced for someone his age and playing at his experience. He's got real upside to be a shooter, a consistent shooter. There's potential with defense. Could really be a swing factor. We really don't know one way or another, but he's an absolutely complete guard. What he lacks like everywhere else with height, he makes up for a with his athleticism, his strength, feel for the game. Again, just advanced intangibles compared to where he is. Like he is far ahead of the average 19-year-old's timeline. So he's hard to eliminate from plays, just really on either end. He has a good overall motor. And also he's going to be 19 for a heavy majority of his rookie season. I think it's like 70, 80% or something of his rookie season will be 19. All right, final question before we get you out of here. In terms of other players on the radar here, 
Is there another player that should be considered? Is it one of the Thompson twins? Or let me ask you this question real quick. Where do you have Scoot on your big board? And where do you have Brandon Miller on your big board? Yeah, I've got Scoot at two, Miller at three. Okay, so uh, then who's your, who's your fourth on the big board? I've got Amin Thompson. Uh, it's hard to evaluate OTE and how it's going to translate. We've done this with high schoolers in the past, so it's like slightly better than your average uh, high school competition, but it's also probably worse than EYBL, where a lot of these top high school guys play in and things like that. It's really hard to evaluate, but ultimately, I mean, man, you get a six, seven guard with p- elite pick and roll feel and also that elite athleticism, like one percentile, like in the positive way. Uh, athleticism, like you can't teach that. But do you think there's any chance that the Hornets would consider him a two? No, unless they're just blown away. I know that Intel is really strong on him, him and his brother, really, of being great hard workers. They love the game. I, I think ultimately it comes down to he's a full year older than Scoot Henderson. Like Scoot's played a way tougher competition. And yeah. honestly, like, has he been worse at better competition? I don't feel like there's a real justification, especially for Charlotte, who absolutely needs to hit in the hardest way here. I don't think there's a real justification weighing the risk and the pros and cons really that they can take Amon over both of these guys. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Richard. I, I appreciate your time. I know that I got to do more research. My uh, co-hosts love the college basketball scene. They love scouting prospects and stuff like that so whenever i can get a a guest on to kind of shed some light and give your perspective it sounds like it aligns with my co-host but i know there are some hornets fans out there that still favor brandon miller uh so I, i think that conversation will still be had up until late june but let our listeners know how they can find you online and i believe you two also have a podcast as well right yeah, so I do Locked On NBA Big Board. We're five days a week covering the NBA draft. We're doing all the uh, big topics, some of the stuff uh, everyone else isn't really covering on the NBA draft. But for me personally, everything runs through at Mavs Draft on Twitter and NBA Draft Film on Instagram. I'm posting content there daily on both of them, uh, scouting reports, high, like not highlight videos, but just videos highlighting uh, certain elements of prospects, everything, mock drafts, things like that. All right, we appreciate everyone tuning in live on Twitter Spaces, on YouTube. Thanks again for tuning in to another BuzzBeat episode. We want to thank also to at Mavs Draft on Twitter for taking time out of his day and the conversation that we had with him. We are less than a month away from the NBA draft, so stay tuned to this podcast for the latest rumors, news, conversations, draft profiles as we head into late June. We also need to talk about the Hornets' other selections, too, because they do have a handful of draft picks in the 2023 NBA draft. We will see you guys next time. Take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.